Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day. And this week, I connected with Stephen Whitmer, co-founder of Small Town Summits, which is an organization serving rural churches and pastors. Stephen is the pastor of Pepperell Christian Fellowship in Pepperell, Massachusetts. He also serves as an adjunct professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and he's the author of A Big Gospel in Small Places. On this week's episode, Stephen and I discuss some practical examples of how churches in small places can be highly engaged in their communities. Stephen shares his thoughts on measuring ministry effectiveness in small towns, and he also helps us think through how the gospel is both fast and slow, large and small, and why this is important when it comes to leading our churches. I really appreciated his encouragement and insights about growth and revival in his closing comments, so be sure to listen for those really great stuff. And now, won't you please join me in my conversation with Stephen Whitmer. Stephen, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Uh, joy to have you with us today. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. Now, Stephen, you um, have recently written a book entitled A Big Gospel in Small Places. So I think to, to start off, can you help us understand what do you mean by small places and why are small places important? Yeah, you know, I, I think it is important to, to have some sense of uh, what small places are. I, I'm generally referring to rural areas and small towns, and both of those terms are notoriously difficult to define. In fact, the U.S. government, various agencies have many varying definitions of what rural is. Um, it's surprisingly slippery because if you think about it, you know, what, what qualifies as a small town? Do you, do you judge by population? Mm. Do you judge by population density? If you choose some number, you know, 12,000 or 10,000 or 5,000, inevitably that's going to be a bit arbitrary. So uh, in, in general, when I say a small place, I'm referring uh, to a place that is lacking influence, economic, cultural influence, to a place that's largely forgotten. I want to I want to um, build a bit more of a thick description of small places rather than just uh, a kind of hard and fast demographic definition. I think of um, I, I think of a continuum. So you know, on, on the one hand, you would have very small places that everyone would recognize as a small place, maybe a little unincorporated township. Uh, in Maine, where I'm from, that doesn't even have a name. Uh, and then on the other hand, you'd have the, the great mega cities of the world. That's a big place. And every community is somewhere on that continuum in between. And a small place is just going to be a lot further on the uh, on the tiny end of the spectrum. Um, you know, one, one of the reasons I want to be careful about uh, not not just relying on demographic considerations is that there are small communities that do have a big cultural influence. You think of a college town, perhaps, and although it's small in population or maybe in population density, it can have an enormous impact. So in, in general, when I say a small place, I mean a place that's lacking in, in influence and generally one that is, is smaller and, and more isolated. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. I, I think it's a helpful distinction. And we do know that across, you know, we're, we're here in the U.S. right now. And across the U.S., we have many areas 
that are outside of city centers, many areas that would be considered uh, much more rural, obviously, and and those that do not tend to have as much influence, just kind of on the on the you know grand scope of of what's happening in our country specifically. And yet these these areas are very significant. So can you talk to us a little bit about how the significance of these smaller places um, really plays into um, you know the fabric of of our culture and society. Yeah. You know, it, it strikes me a, a kind of a rough and ready definition of a small place is if you're telling someone where you live and you need to tell them where, where your town is in relation to some other bigger place, <laughs> right. that's, that's probably a small place. You know, I, so I, I live in Pepperell, Massachusetts and I always tell people it's an hour Northwest of Boston Nobody in Boston is telling telling people where we we I you know I live in a place that's a, an hour southeast of Pepperell. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you know the 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 small places, the forgotten places, the rural um, isolated places are hugely important um, for one thing because uh, the rest of the country is fed by rural places. Uh, that's where. Where, where the agriculture is. Um, and so as Wendell Berry says, you can't have culture without agriculture. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're important just in, in a very basic um, way of feeding us. Um, and then they're also important because culture, although uh, it thrives in, 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 and is often produced um, in the kind of, um, you know, dense population clusters and the big, uh, the big, uh, cities. Also, there, there are, are rich cultures in um, small places. And, and you think about a lot of folk music and um, the, the enormous inf- influence of um, Appalachia and other places. Um, I've, I've just re- recently read, uh, been reading some, uh, some more kind of memoirs and, um, and cultural commentaries on the small places. And there is a there's a richness that I think most people do recognize about um, uh, uh, many of the places that, that just are often aren't given credit in, in mainstream culture. Yeah. Now, when we talk of ministry, Stephen, many times we have a lot of you – know, we have a lot of city movements and even a lot of church planting emphasis and focus on city centers uh, because of you know dense population. So – Naturally, if if you're planting a church where there are more people, you have the opportunity to reach more people. Is kind of thinking through that. Talk to us a little bit because you you discuss this in your book um, about how we are approaching um, kind of from a ministry perspective, um, whether it's church planting or other ministries, in in kind of looking at city centers versus looking at more rural areas or small small places. What have you noticed, and even in researching your book, what have you noticed? What what do you see that are definite positives, and then where might we be missing some some things as a church? Yeah, that's a helpful question. I I, I do think that um, probably in the past twenty or thirty years, there's been a real uh, there's been a necessary emphasis on the city. Um, in previous generations, there there was there was a uh, there was a flight from the city and a, a, a desire to move out in suburbs and and uh, many church leaders in the last generation have have brought about an increased heightened awareness of the importance of urban ministry 
um, both in addressing poverty and and um, helping in human needs, but and also reaching the creative class and influencing the broader culture, which is often uh, clustered in cities. Um, folks like Tim Keller and, and many others. I, I am a huge fan of city ministry, and many of my friends are are in urban ministry. Some of my, my best friends, and I, I've supported urban ministries. And so, um, I in no way am trying to diminish the significance or the importance of city ministry. And, you know, I'm, I'm, we, we need more church plants in cities. We need more Christians in cities. So um, I'm all for that. I, I do think that probably in the last 20 or 30 years, it, it, so particularly just from my vantage point, there has been a, a privileging of city ministry. As I came through a seminary coming up on 20 years ago now, the uh, the kind of cultural narrative and even the Christian narrative that I was uh, picking up, often it wasn't even something explicitly articulated to me, but it was just sort of in the air, um, was that if I wanted to make my life count for Jesus and I wanted to, to, to maximize my years of ministry, I should make a beeline for the city. And so my own personal story is um, I, I came out of seminary intent on being a city pastor. And it was only a very clear call from God that, that moved me away from that and uh, resulted in me being in um, small town ministry for a decade plus and counting now. Okay, so let's talk small small city um, ministry. What are some of the things that you have learned over this last decade um, that have been really formative in how you um, are leading as a pastor and how you're engaging in a smaller town that might be helpful for other pastors? Yeah, I mean, I I, I wrote this book. Um, out of the overflow of my own struggles. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I really, I really hope and pray that it will be helpful for pastors. Um, my, my goal in writing it uh, has been to be a help and encouragement for small place pastors. And also I, I hope and pray for, for big place pastors too, who want to get a fully orbed view of what God is doing in smaller places, not just in, in big cities. But, um, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of my struggles over the last um, decade plus in small, small place ministry have revolved around um, questions of sort of um, where, where do I fit within an evangelical culture that often privileges fast-moving ministries, big ministries, um, influential ministries. You know, if you look, if you look through— um, through church publications and church leader publications, I, I would say there are very few um, small place pastors who are featured, very few small, relatively few small place churches that are featured. And so there's a narrative in our Christian subculture of what success looks like. And, and um, I, so I've struggled with that. I've, I've, I've felt lonely at times. Often um, small town pastors have fewer pastors around. There's less connectivity. And, um, and, and sort sort of, you know, the, the way success is being defined, am I being successful in ministry? I've wondered those questions and, uh, a big part of my own growth in, uh, happiness and joy and satisfaction and diminishing of envy has come as I've meditated on the gospel and then allowed, I, I think allowed the gospel to drive and shape my view of the kind of ministry I'm doing, 
and the kind of ministry that often occurs in small places. Um, so uh, all, all that's a way of saying the kind of core of this book, because it's been the core of my own struggle, has been seeking to develop a theological vision for small town ministry, rural ministry, that flows from the gospel itself. I'd love to, to dive in a little bit into um, a, kind of some more specifics on exactly what you just talked about, kind of the theological, biblical um, underpinning of this. Um, one one of the things that, that I really appreciated is when you wrote, you talked about the idea of, of slow and how slow is is often um, not only not only important in in nurturing people of God, um, but it's oftentimes uh, you even talk about it as being kind of wiser than moving fast. So, can we dig into like that specifically for a little bit? And what have you learned about this idea of slow, and and how does that relate to, um, as you said, just even in in scripture and theologically? When it comes to you know serving as a pastor, yes, I, I'm guessing that there are many listeners, many pastors and church staff who are often frustrated by the slowness of their ministry, and and I think that's probably true in the city, and in the country, and everywhere in between. So I, I don't think this is slowness and frustration with slowness is not unique to small places. However, often things do tend to move more slowly in a small town, small church that has fewer resources. There are fewer people coming and going. There's more stability. You know, it's, it's, it's debated whether the pace of life is actually slower in small towns. I mean, my, my life in a small town is a fairly fast paced life. So, but I think the important thing is whether or not it actually is quantitatively slower Many people in small towns think it is and cherish the slowness of it. Um, small town culture is often built around familiarity and uh, a, a slow growth in trust and affection. And so if you're ministering in a small town, um, as I do, it's important to not be allergic to things moving slowly. I, I, I do tend to to push against that. Um, but yeah, one of the things I'm saying in the book is that slow is wiser, often wiser than we think it is. And I'm rooting that in the gospel itself. Uh, as I, as I read the, the new Testament and the, the whole Bible, I see a gospel that, that sometimes moves very, very quickly. I mean, there are, there are people movements to Christ overnight. There, there, you know, you can read the book of Acts and see, Thousands of people coming to Christ. That's the fast movement of the gospel. But often the, the gospel moves very slowly. Um, and we can all think about our own lives, areas of slow spiritual growth where, you know, I think of areas in my life that have, I see definite change, but over decades, not over days. And so uh, the gospel comes fast sometimes and it comes slow sometimes. And I want to, I want to say, well, if, if, if my ministry is to be shaped by the gospel, not, not just the gospel as its content, but the gospel giving a certain shape, a certain quality, a certain tenor to my ministry, then there's permission in the slowness of the gospel to allow my ministry to be slow and heavy on relationship. Um, and that is a freeing permission. Um, it, it, it's, not a, it's not a permission for laziness, 
I'm, I'm, I'm very zealous that when I say that the gospel is, is often slower than we think it is and in ministry and slowness can be wiser than we think it is. I'm zealous that, that we not baptize laziness or recycling sermons or coasting into retirement. Mm. How, however, um, our culture often universally privileges speed over slowness. And I see the gospel pushing back against that. There are elements of our culture, our secular culture, that that embrace slowness. So you think of the slow food movement, which is a rebellion against the <laughs> the speed of our broader culture. And, and and I say, well, yeah, I think they're seeing something that's a, a legitimate problem, and they're responding to it. <clears throat> but I, I wouldn't want to obviously root ministry in a secular trend. I want to root it in the gospel, and I see the gospel— sometimes coming fast and sometimes coming slow. So when things are moving more slowly in my small town and in my small town ministry, I want to be okay with that. And 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 the slowness of the gospel gives me permission to look for advantages. Um, obviously, one big advantage is if you're in a small town that values the slow growth of relationships, uh, you, should, you should be okay slowing down and building relationships and earning trust and building a reputation that is a good inside the church and outside the church. And I've had conversations with some community leaders in my town that were a decade in the making. It just took a long time to build relationship. Oh, that, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, Stephen, as you are you know, thinking, reflecting on, on your own church or just uh, conversations you've had with other pastors who are pastoring in, in small places, what are some— Maybe some examples of of what you know effective ministry. Um, you talked a little bit about how we measure success in ministry, but what are some some examples? Maybe even some some metrics, or or maybe they're more you know narrative related, story related, but that you would really want to encourage other pastors in small places to to rethink maybe how we measure success or effectiveness. Do you have some you know some stories or some thoughts on what that might look like in small spaces? I, I do. I, I'm actually a, a decent amount of the thrust of this book is arguing for a different metric of success, and and I'm calling it see-through ability to the gospel. Uh, <laughs> I, I want I want my ministry to, to as I said, to, to not just communicate verbally the gospel, but to take on the very shape and character of the gospel. And if the gospel sometimes comes fast and sometimes comes slow and sometimes comes big and sometimes comes small, like a, a mustard seed, and, you know, it's buried in the ground and it grows very slowly, it doesn't look impressive at all. If the gospel um, sometimes comes to, well, I mean, it always comes to people who don't deserve it, and it often comes to uninfluential people, it often looks, the gospel often looks unstrategic. It, it looks lavish. You know, it looks like uh, a woman spending a ridiculous amount of, of money uh, or using a using very valuable perfume to anoint Jesus's feet with and, and wipe it with her hair. And, and that looks like a waste. It's lavish love. That's the way the gospel comes. If, if that's all the case, then uh, one metric of success is, is your church, is your ministry becoming see-through to that gospel. Um, I draw that from Ephesians chapter 3 that talks about the Jew-Gentile church displaying the manifold wisdom of God to the heavenly beings. And 
And there in Ephesians 3, Paul's, Paul's not saying the, the Jew-Gentile church is displaying it through their uh, words, although I'm sure that's the case too. But he's saying just the very shape of the church, the fact that both Jew and Gentile are part of the church, displays something about the wisdom of God as the mystery of Christ is revealed. And so uh, the, the church itself, the constitution of the church, is see-through to the wisdom of God, to the gospel. And so he, he, here's a metric of success for me and for, for all the pastors listening. Is your ministry, is your church, when people look at it, is it see-through to, to Christ? Does it does it savor of the gospel? And I'll just give some examples here. Um, I, you know, I, our church has been increasingly drawn toward ministry to seniors, and it hasn't been a, an organized effort so much as just, I've seen God giving various people in our congregation a desire to minister in our senior center in town. Uh, we've we've started supporting a, a, a missionary in New Hampshire, just about half an hour away, who ministers full-time in homes, and you know, a bunch of other efforts uh, towards seniors. I think a ministry toward seniors is see-through to the gospel um, because you are there's 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 you know there's there's less reason to uh, minister to someone in a nursing home who's who's not going to probably influence a huge amount of other people that may not boost your budget the reason you're doing that is because you love Jesus and you love that person and there's a lavishness and uh, often a slowness and a smallness about that kind of ministry that is seeking for the gospel. I just love that. And, you know, I've, I've, I have friends around the country who are pastoring in small towns. And I was in um, just a few months ago in Northern Ireland in a, the town of Rathfra Island for a Acts 29 Rural Collective Summit. And just seeing the kind of ministry they're doing in this small forgotten town, um, that th- those churches are see-through to the gospel because they wouldn't be doing that work in those places if it wasn't for the gospel. Mm. Yeah, that's that's good. Can you share with us, Stephen, maybe some some of the things that you've seen that are really advantageous um, in terms of ministry, in terms of sharing the gospel that are associated primarily with small spaces that maybe, you know, larger cities or urban areas um, – may not have those specific opportunities, but within these small spaces, um, there are opportunities that you'd encourage other pastors to kind of, you know, seize. My favorite aspect of living in a small town is overlap. Um, the The Princeton sociologist Robert Wethno talks about suburbs as uh, an arrow. That's the kind of symbol he uses to characterize them because very often in a suburb, you are centrally based, hopefully, and then driving in all sorts of different directions to get to work or to get to church or to get to the uh, mall or to, to do your food shopping or to drop the kids off at school or whatever. So you, they're, they're all, if you're diagramming your life, you'd be driving all these different directions. Um, a small town, particularly a very small town and an isolated small town. Um, but again, you know, you place yourself on the continuum of small place, big place, wherever you happen to be. A smaller town, uh, Robert Wethno says, is more like a circle. So you live within the circle. You you have even a common geographical horizon. So, you know, the, the other residents of your small town see 
the same places. They see the same lake or, or river or the same buildings. Um, they, they have often, if they've been in, in town for a while, they have the same, uh, they, they have a, a kind of a common understanding of, of his, the history of the town. So I, I could say to someone else in Pepperell, you know, take a left past where the Dunkin' Donuts used to be. There isn't one there now, but everybody knows where it was, you know, <laughs> right, right. and, and, and all those, all that shared knowledge creates a uh, deep in relationship and sense of belonging. And because a small town is small, uh, there's, there's just usually one of everything. So in Pepperell, there's, there's one grocery store. It's a small one. Um, you know, there's, there's one town library, there's one town post office. Um, there are a few churches there, there's there's not a lot there's not all that, that many options there's one big town field and and so you're 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 almost bound and I've experienced this my family has many times to run into the same people in different contexts that's why I'm saying you know overlap is uh, is such a valuable thing specifically for ministry and building relationship because I will see people in the town library who I see on the town field for soccer practice who I see in the grocery store or at the post office. And because of that, you, you get to know people and you can build relationship with people. And um, if your church is really committed to being a community-engaged church, your, your small town will feel the impact uh, enormously in a way that often in a city, it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be felt at a citywide level. We've had We've had folks come to some of the small town summits I helped to lead in throughout New England, and um, the one one pastor said the community is about 300 people, and we have about 30 people coming to our church. So think of the think mm-hmm. of the impact on the community. That's a tenth of yeah. the, the, the whole town. You know. Yep. Uh, what what would what size church would you need to be in New York City to have that kind of impact? Exactly. Yeah. That, and that's one of the things that in, in traveling the country and talking to to lots of different pastors and a lot of small church pastors. Um, a, a lot of you know small small town and you know these small spaces as you talk about a lot of them are having uh, actually greater influence within the small space because just as you said um, the people they're connected to uh, make up um, a greater percentage of the kind of the total population in the area and so yeah. um, there, yeah. there's there's great opportunity there let me ask you this Stephen if um, for a pastor listening in let's say they're they are Moving into a a church in a small space or small town, or um, and they're you know so they're new to the area. They're you know kind of a fresh ministry. What are some of the things that you would recommend they do? You know, kind of at the outset of that ministry um, to help you know kind of prepare for what you you know you just said you know this community engaged church like. Like what are what are some recommendations that you would have for pastors, or even maybe those who have been sitting, you know, pastoring in in a smaller area, but want to have kind of greater influence? What are some yes. things that you'd recommend they do? Yeah, that's good. Min- ministry on the periphery does not need to be peripheral ministry. In other words, you you might feel if you're a pastor in a small place, you are out in the boondocks, you're in the middle of nowhere, but. I really think as you pray and seek God and seek to impact your community, you you will not be peripheral. You you can become central to your community. So I would say begin by praying. Uh, begin by not just understanding but immersing yourself in the gospel so that your instincts 
our gospel instincts um, uh, so that you are not doing ministry in order to prove yourself or to kind of leverage, uh, I don't know, to use the ministry to get somewhere else um, so that ministry is not your validation before God or other people. Pray, immerse yourself in the gospel, and then listen. Um, don't don't try to, to rush. Um, get to know your neighbors. Start small. Be okay with small. Um, some of the great relationships my family has developed over the last 11 years have been by going to the town transfer station once a week and building relationships or, or getting to know the, the neighbor who walked his dog past our house and our little kids would always run out and start petting the dog. And, and we've seen just like sweet gospel fruit come from those everyday relationships. And, and if, if you're immersing yourself in the gospel and you're, you're more okay with the things that are small, if that's what God chooses to give you and things that are slow, if that's what God chooses to give you to, to be see through to his gospel, then you won't rush past those things. You won't despise those things. And the more you listen around your community, get to know its history and, and its insecurities and its aspirations, the more you'll be able to think as an individual and as, as a leader of church, here's, here's the way we can minister. Here are needs that we can meet. Here are values that we can add uh, to this local community. Yeah, that, that's good. Could you give us a couple of examples of, I know you said that you've um, been really kind of focusing on ministering to seniors, but what are some, uh, some examples of maybe some kind of small town um, community engaged um, ministries or outreaches or relationships that you your church has established that you've seen be um, particularly effective. We've in, we've enjoyed doing a number of things over the years, and some of them have uh, sort of evolved over time. Um, in in the last couple of years, we've started uh, a series of community forums. Uh, we'll have local leaders from the town or region come into our church and. And we'll we'll just ask questions about what they're doing and needs needs that they have. We've done one on uh, the opioid crisis um, in New England and in our region, and another on the needs of seniors. And we'll we'll thank them and give them gifts and and make a big deal of what they're already doing, and then try to discern as a church what we can do to come alongside them and and help in serving the community. Uh, we did we we started something a number of years ago that's been really good for our church and our community called Service Sunday and. So uh, our our churches uh, our our church our, sorry our town's uh, really big gathering in the year is the July Four Parade, and it's a huge deal. People set out chairs the day before along the parade route so they can have a spot reserved, you know, and and uh, it, just about everybody in the community is there it seems. And uh, and after that, after the the parade and then the town fireworks on the town field, it's just it's kind of a mess along the parade route. So our church has one early service the day after that, the Sunday after that, um, and we then flood out in the community. We're all wearing our church T-shirts, and we clean up the town field and the, the parade route, and we contact some of the seniors in our community or other folks who need help and take work teams out to, um, to work throughout the community. And that has had a, a really significant impact on our town. Um, people know our churches. Uh, the church that does that. Um, so, and, we, and we try to foster more kind of ongoing servant hearts uh, among individuals. We do uh, service projects with our small groups, our life groups. And so a lot of it is is our attempt to build a culture, and we're, st- we're st- still growing in this, um, that is 
gospel-centered and community-engaged in a small place. That's really our heart. Yeah, I love that. Great examples there, Stephen. Uh, Stephen, as we kind of wind down our conversation, um, anything else that you would um, like to share? You have the you know the ears of of pastors and ministry leaders. Anything else specific that that you'd like to share? A word of encouragement, or some, maybe something we haven't yet touched on? Yeah, I'm two two things. One is um, first of all, uh, for all all pastors and church staff, what you're doing matters enormously, whether other people see it or not. Uh, whether it looks good in the eyes of the world or not, it's really important. Um, and and I think the gospel endorses uh, what you're doing, even if the the world and the the larger culture and the Christian subculture does not. Um, is if it if it's faithful ministry that's displaying the gospel, um, you know, I love First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight: be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So uh, I, I want to I encourage those who are listening and feel maybe lonely, disconnected, wondering if what they're doing matters. It does. It matters a lot. Um, so keep going. Be, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then maybe um, a final thing, uh, and this is coming back to the fact that the gospel can be fast or slow and and it can be big or small, and it can be strategic or seemingly unstrategic. And, and that is um, my my encouragement for pastors, for church workers, for ministers, is to long more, to desire more uh, for, for big numbers and fast growth. Uh, I think we should want it more, but we should need it less. Uh, that's the best way I've, I've found to express it and uh, for my, myself and for others. We should want it more. Of course, we should want big and fast because we want revival. You know, we want people's lives to be changed. The yeah. gospel's changed our, our lives. So why why would we prefer small and slow? We should want it more, but we should need it less. We, we shouldn't need it to validate ourselves um, because it, it could be that God wants to display the speed and power of his gospel by doing something big and fast, by bringing revival. And I know small town churches that have, have blown up, you know, they're doing incredibly well. And, and, and establishing multiple campuses. And I praise God for that. Um, and so we should long for that to happen. We shouldn't be lazy and we, should, we shouldn't, uh, you know, sometimes the, the talk about being just faithful, I think, can, can uh, get a little nervous about it. I know, I, I know the heart behind it, but I, I think it could almost baptize um, just sort of uh, not caring as much or not praying anymore for mm-hmm. revival, just being, being okay with the status quo. So, we should want it more. We should want revival more, but we shouldn't need it because we we understand that our task is to be see through to the gospel, and God's going to display elements of His gospel, His His big fast gospel, through big fast churches, and then He's also going to want some small slow churches to display those precious elements of the gospel. God is patient, so He works slowly sometimes, and. And he loves to confound the wisdom of the world, so he uses unstrategic small things. And and it might be that he's using your forgotten church and your forgotten community to say something really eternally precious about his own character and about his gospel. Hey, Stephen, excellent. What um, If someone wants to learn more, uh, either connect with you or learn more about the book, where can they get the book or, or your ministry? Yeah, the book is available uh, just about anywhere books are sold. I think it's on Amazon and Christian book distributors. Uh, it's available through InterVarsity Press and their website. 
And then if people would like to connect uh, in other ways, I'm on Twitter, Stephen Whitmer one and on, on Facebook. Um, I've also helped to, to launch and lead a ministry called small town summits. And uh, we meet and gather folks, small town pastors and lay people throughout the six States of new England. If you look at new England, most of the churches throughout new England are small churches in small places. And so we're doing really uh, kind of in, in this ministry what I'm trying to develop in the book. The books really come out of our efforts with small town summits. So we're we're trying to do contextualized ministry. We meet in small churches and small towns, um, and and really seek to build theological vision. And the the web address for that ministry, if folks are interested, small town summits is www.smalltownsummits.com. People could. Find there's a whole resource page on small place ministry there, and a bunch of uh, some of the uh, the summits we have done in the past and and upcoming summits. Excellent, excellent, Stephen. And we will have links um, to the book and also um, for people to connect with you, and then the small town summits link as well in the show notes. So if you're listening in and you want to learn more, um, or if you want to uh, get a copy of of Stephen's book, A Big Gospel in Small Places, or learn more if you're in New England in that area and want to learn more about the Small Town Summits, we encourage you to check out the show notes. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for all that you're doing in ministry there in your community in, in Massachusetts through your local church, and then also for the ministry you're doing in encouraging uh, pastors that find themselves uh, ministering in small spaces. I think it's an important work, and, and we're having more and more conversation around that, and, and I think it's it's good for the church and good for the kingdom. So thank you. Thanks, Jason. Great to speak with you. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.